0: IPv6, Geophone, and 120 million ignored listeners. That's what we're talking about this week on Sounds Profitable with me, Brian Barletta. I know that you're listening to Sounds Profitable because podcast ad tech is important to you, but it's important to me that you are kept up to date on the latest news from the entire podcast industry. To help with that, here's what happened last week, no matter when you're listening, from James Critlin at Pod News. IPv4 has a limited shelf life. With the amount of devices people have rapidly overwhelming the amount of IPv4 addresses out there, IPv6 is certainly the future. I discussed podcasting's lack of preparation for this further in my article. How many listeners is your IAB B2 certification worth? Are we getting prepared? I asked Tom Barrasso of PodLP, who is intimately familiar with the topic of India and its interesting podcasting situation related to IPv6. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Sounds Profitable. We're here with Tom Barrasso of PodLP, and Tom was the subject of an early article I did, or PodLP was rather, called How Many Listeners Is Your IAB V2 Certification Worth? So, Tom, welcome to the show.
1: Hi, Brian. Yeah, I'm uh, glad, glad to be here uh, and excited to talk about, you know, my uh, interest in podcasting and, and PodLP and sort of, I think, what the future of podcasting might look like.
0: Heck, yeah. So, Tom, you know, PodLP was really interesting to me. We had been introduced by James Cridlin, and the whole focus of what you're building was you built a podcast player on a type of like a is a smart feature
1: phone, right? Is that what they call it? Yep. Yeah, KaiOS smart feature phones.
0: And and so these phones look. They have like a T9. They have like the all the the actual hard buttons on it, but they have a screen that has smart features, but isn't touch. And the biggest appeal for these, um, outside of hobbyists like yourself for hiking, it seems, was for people in countries that are getting into uh, mobile internet access. So in India, I think. Reliance Geo, the company over there, had statistics like they put 300 million phones in people's hands in the three years that they uh, got into the space. And I believe most of those were new. And so the intent was these phones are very cheap. It was $20. I bought one off of Amazon when we were talking. And they allow for people to access the internet. And you saw a giant hole. There wasn't a great podcast app. You built Pod LP. Primarily used in India, but available on KaiOS and and soon other operating systems. But one of the things that you ran into was the type of connection made from the Reliance Geo network to podcast hosts was different than what you expected, right?
1: Yeah. So I guess, yeah, fundamentally, these devices aren't all that novel. And I think a way to think about them is if you think about what Nokia used to be making, they're actually making them again today. Uh, Nokia has been one of the main uh, OEMs making KaiOS devices as part of their like classics reboot. So all the old school phones, the banana phone, you know, they're making reboots of them now with 3G, 4G, uh, and who knows, probably soon 5G. Uh, and I think part of the reason actually that KaiOS is is starting to take off in the in the global stage is that telcos have been deprecating 2G and 3G networks across the board. Here in the United States, I think every major telco has deprecated both networks, and you can't access. Uh, for new, you can't activate new devices that only run on 2G or 3G. So now, moving forward, pretty much every feature phone is going to probably, likely run KaiOS or some smart feature phone OS variant. And then another thing to consider is that, um, in terms of that connectivity portion of it, uh, if you think about places like India, right, there are what like 1.5 billion people. I think there's something like 4.3 billion uh, IPv4 addresses available in the whole world. And almost every one of those has already been attested to since like the 1990s. Uh, If you're a telco in in countries like this, you could not possibly connect 400 million people just using IPv4 alone today. It's just not technologically feasible. It's very expensive. And frankly, it's not the way the world is heading. Uh, We've known that we've been heading to this IPv6 future for many years at this point, probably, frankly, in the order of decades. And it's a long time coming. And I think in terms of podcasting, there's a lot of questions around measurement and analytics. But at the end of the day, I, I think. IPv6 is here to stay. Uh, it's going to grow. And and I think podcasting is only one small portion of the internet that needs to be paying attention to it.
0: So let's break that down for a second. IPv4 versus IPv6. So I tried to explain it a little bit in the article, but honestly, it's one of those things that I think confuses a lot of people. So how many total IPv4 addresses are there?
1: On the order of about 4 billion.
0: Okay. So 4 billion, and there's more people in the world than that. so... We're at a point where there are less IPv4 addresses than there are people. Most people have devices, have multiple devices connecting on there, have relay points like their router in their household, and all of these different things, right? I, looking in front of me, I have my computer, my Xbox, uh, my iPhone, and my iPad. Each of those have their own connection. So I'm already exacerbating the problem. So IPv4 is about the connection to the Internet, right? IP address is your device's connection to the Internet. What happens right now with the fact that we have more devices than IPv4 addresses?
1: Yeah, so actually, this is addressed today in the IAB's guidelines for measurement. If you think about it, like some of the more extreme examples would be like a college campus. They probably share one or maybe just a handful of IP addresses for thousands of students. Uh, And this type of rationing is pretty common worldwide. It's common in both servers and on client side. So like you as a person, every one of your your computer, your Xbox, your phone, all of these devices are all sharing one IP address today. They're all connecting through your router to the Internet. Uh, So your router sort of acts as like a hub and spokes and everything goes through it, all presenting as one single entity to the world you know and this is necessary this is fundamentally necessary because as you mentioned there's there's just not enough IPs for individual people let alone all the individual devices that we have today
0: yeah and so so when we think about that that means that my household router is the sole IP address that goes out to the world there's an internal one for my home network and then there is potentially even the local addressable access between my router and the local routers but my router my household is the the internet ID. If I search what is my IP address, it's not the address of my device when it's connected to Wi-Fi, it's the address of that router. And that goes the same with a cell tower, right? If I'm connected over cellular, if I say what is my IP address, I'm in Austin, Texas right now, depending on which one I look at, it's going to tell me I'm either in uh, Houston or San Antonio. So three hours or an hour and a half away, because again, it's not my device's IP address that's being shared. That's a local thing between the cell tower and my device but rather the cell tower to the internet, that's the device that the public sees. And this is what Tom's talking about and consolidating that. That's one of the reasons why I'm so adamant that cellular IP address is pretty junk right now in podcasting because of the fact that if me and Tom were both on T-Mobile connecting to the same tower with the same user agent on Spotify, listening to the same episode, we're indistinguishable to the point where it could actually happen that we mess up each other's download if it's that lucky that we're in step. I don't really think that's gonna happen, but more than anything, there's not a lot of uniqueness that you can provide to that. So let's now take a step back. IPv6, obviously we're incrementing from four to six for uh, those like me who need it
1: explained pretty simple. So again, how many IPv4 addresses? Oh, it's orders of magnitude more. I think the numbers get to a point where it's not even like reasonable to rationalize what we're talking about. I think that they're defined as approximately something like three times 10 to the 38. But that number is just so large that it's it's not even comprehensible. I mean, billions aren't even comprehensible by humans. But imagining something of that scale is, is just like, you know, I don't even know how many grains of sand are there in the world or something like that. So
0: we're talking about 4.5 for IPv4 and then IPv6 is just magnitudes more than that. So that means that in this world, that my IP address of my phone, even when connected to my router, each of those in that step, my phone and my router can have its own IPv6 value to identify each one of them and never step on each other's toes, never have to share, never have to consolidate it. So IPv6 is a more accurate fingerprint. Now, if I'm not mistaken, part of the IPv6 spec is that the issuer of the IPv6 address can recycle it, refresh it up to, is it hourly?
1: Yeah, so I guess, I guess that gets to another point around how we do measurement today, and this is true for both IPv4 and IPv6 in a number of different ways, but at the end of the day, one thing to keep in mind with IP addresses is that you don't own them. Most of us, most people don't have static IP addresses, meaning they change from time to time. Your home address, your cell phone address, it doesn't matter, they change. They're not tied to your physical device. They're based on a rotating list that your cell towers, uh, your telcos, your you know Comcast, etc., that they maintain. So those IP addresses rotate, and there's a couple of reasons why. One is just frugality, like we, it costs money to basically stake a claim for ownership on an IP address, and most of us don't care about it, so we don't pay for it. The other is privacy reasons. If you think about if I had an IP address that was uniquely identifying me, and it was persistent across all time, that would be really dangerous because it means all I need to do is connect to something once, and they'll know exactly who I am without ever saving any amount of data, without asking for any permission. Um, and that, you know, I think that presents a lot of obvious privacy challenges, uh, in the IPv6 space, this is made worse because there's so many IP addresses, as you mentioned, it's not just that I can identify all of the devices that that Brian owns. Now I can identify each one individually and I can say, this is Brian's Xbox. This is its IP address. It must be this forever. Uh, so that doesn't happen. They end up rotating these addresses, something in the order of say hours, And this is to ensure that people that are listening, whether it's a podcast or you're connecting to a website, that when you come back, they're not able to identify you uniquely, solely based on that IP address.
0: that's a big point there. So this is both more granular and more privacy focused. And now the reason why we explained all this is because in India on this Reliance Geo network, they went full out IPv6, right? They built this up before Reliance Geo went live in India. 4G and now 5G just weren't a thing there. I mean, I think they were struggling a lot, even on 3G networks. And so this telco built themselves up from the ground up in like under five years. Staggering growth, it was amazing. And they decided to put technology first. Now, IDV6 was introduced decades ago at this point. And it, you know, when everybody's just like, oh, it's the year of year with podcasting, this is gonna be it, this is gonna be the year. There's a bunch of nerds out there who are like, ah, man, IPv6, this is the year. It just never happened. The adoption rate has not happened significantly enough. It's easy enough for people to push things around. Almost everything has an IPv4 and IPv6. But what Tom found out with Reliance Shio was that uh, unless he went through certain gateways, there was no IPv4 appended to it. Everything was just an IPv6 address. And what we learned was that because of the IAB, because of what they're focusing on at the time of writing this article. And recently, just until I think they they ended public comment without really publicly exposing that they wanted public comment on February 12th, 2021, for a new version that actually addressed IPv6. Uh, and we'll go over that in a future episode. But now, just now, 20-ish years after podcast is out, easily IPv6 has been out longer. We are now in a situation where hosts are encouraged to finally have an IPv6 solution instead of just ignoring those requests. So this whole focus was that this new technology in India, not even new technology, this new provider in India focused first on this IPv6 technology. And the end result was Tom's app <laughs> it didn't, couldn't connect to every podcast at first. It seems like we've gotten around that since then, right?
1: Yeah, I think you brought up a couple of points that I think are worth sort of diving into a little bit for for the audience here. I think one is that people might not understand this because here in the United States and probably most developed countries, we started with an IPv4.6 only network. Every major network provider started that way. And then we moved to IPv6. And in that process, we had a bunch of infrastructure that supported both. And they ended up doing what, what's called dual stack so that you have the ability to connect to both IPv4 and IPv6. It's part of a transition, right? They didn't want the whole internet to break. You don't want to just have Comcast say, we're IPv6 only starting tomorrow. And all of a sudden you can't tweet anymore. The, you know Then everyone yeah. would tweet them and they, they'd be up in arms. So for us, we've sort of lived in this world where it hasn't been our problem, both as engineers building systems, but also as like end users. You don't have to worry about what, what's behind the scenes in terms of your IP stack. Now, like transition to countries like India, which are developing rapidly, right, especially compared to the U.S., they're building, you know, 3G, 4G, 5G networks that are spanning hundreds of millions of users, as you mentioned, on the order of single years. Uh, and in this case, they decided it wasn't worth the amount of cost overhead to maintain infrastructure and build it in the first place, frankly, for things like IPv4. They wanted to move straight into the future with IPv6 as their main stack because it's cheaper, it's more economical, it's more privacy centric, it's more secure. There's a lot of benefits for it. And it, it just didn't make sense for them to try to replicate the models that we've done here. And we're seeing this in most emerging markets around the world. It's not just India. These telco companies are now starting to share their, their knowledge, their experience, and they're starting to collaborate with other countries. And most countries now, uh, developed, developing countries, are focusing primarily on building IPv6 uh, telco infrastructure.
0: Which is interesting because that locks them in that scenario if there are platforms and, and services out there that don't support an IPv6 connection and your device doesn't support it, which we'll get into in a second or doesn't support more than IPv6, then you're in a situation where you can only access things that will allow that connection. So if Facebook Facebook does have IPv6, that means that my phone connected from Reliance Geo in India can connect to Facebook. But if Facebook was just not open to it, they didn't have that dual connection, I couldn't access it, I couldn't tweet, like you said, for example, there. And what's funny is, was we were digging through this uh, for the article, we found that like, The most of the structure is focused on, yes, this is an IPv6 platform, but there's gateways. Like you said, the rest of the world's living in this transition period. They probably don't even build anything anymore that's IPv4 only. And there are very few things out there in the greater world that are IPv6 only, except in these emerging markets now because it's more cost-effective. But when Facebook, Amazon, Microsoft, Google rolls out something else, it's dual stack, right? We've been living in this transition world for probably a decade now. And the onus actually gets kicked back down to the devices. So we saw that on the cheaper the device is, it would just default to IPv6 because it didn't have the technology, it didn't have the hardware to be able to do both. And so there are some people that cannot connect to IPv4 only areas, and there are some platforms out there that reject IPv6 requests or don't track the downloads appropriately, tracking it back down to uh, podcasts. And so that was really interesting. There's We have a luxury in the rest of the world. Podcasting looks at the US focused so aggressively that we forget about the rest of the world. 300 million people who didn't have cell phones before now have a cell phone that can listen to podcasts, thanks to PodLP and a few other apps over there. These are people in a country that used to pay, actually they didn't pay. They would call a basically an 800 number and listen to like 60 minutes of programmed entertainment full of ads because they loved audio that much in areas where there wasn't cell phone signal, in areas where radio was shaky at best, in areas where TV wasn't available. And so these emerging markets, audio is some of the easiest format to get to them. Yeah, there's text, but imagine trying to read a website on your original Nokia blue brick phone. And for the kids listening, first off, good on you for listening to the super nerdy podcast, but like picture something not much bigger than both your thumbs put together is the screen. Like there was a rough time for us back then in the early 2000s on the cell phone scape. But yeah, I mean, this is just so interesting. And, and so you started PodLP
1: because you liked these phones because you didn't want to bring your iPhone with you on hikes? Uh, basically, yeah. There was uh, around this time last year, I, I had this idea that I've been kicking around to build a podcast app for this platform because I wanted to bring a feature phone with me on my camping trips as a way to disconnect, but I listen to podcasts pretty uh, often and especially like when I'm driving and the ability to have podcasts playing like while I'm driving to these different campsites uh, was something that I really wanted and there was no podcast app available at that point in time. And so that was really the start for me was building something that let me get, you know, can, can I get NPR? Can I get some of the Spotify, some of the Gimlet stuff? And can I stream it via Bluetooth to my car? And these phones can do all that. You know, these smart feature phones now, they're a lot more capable than the old Nokia devices. They have Wi-Fi, they have Bluetooth. Um, they, they're just much more connected, plus obviously an app store. And so uh, though that combination of things was um, particularly appealing. Um, so I picked one up and, and ultimately just started playing with some uh, software, some coding, and, and uh, learning a little bit about the podcast space, um, which definitely took some time understanding how there's all these feeds, they're distributed everywhere, and how do you get them, and how do you index them and search them and present it on these little phones? And then how do you do it in a way that doesn't overpower these devices? Because, again, even though they are much more capable than histo- than they've been, uh, they're still quite limited. You know, These are s- some of these devices that uh, we're looking at don't even have the ability to read the whole feed for something like Joe Rogan, right? Some of these feeds are like five or 10 megs and that could crash the phone. And so you have to find a way to present that to them without sort of overwhelming what they're capable of.
0: And that's that's so neat. And so I'm, I'm glad that your hobby led into this because the world can enjoy audio. And in the advertising space, one of the things I keep trying to push to people is that like, there are people out there that we can reach with audio and that want it and you know we push and we say why the rss feed why don't we do everything streaming why don't we do everything in real time it's because not everybody's there yet and that's awesome that we can do it in the us but this is supposed to be an open format accessible to everyone james Cridlin recently wrote about in africa the idea of being able to serve a different file size depending on the connection and the device and all that that's so amazing being able to tailor the experience from the hosting platform to the individual listener, to make sure that they can enjoy it, they can participate in it, they can access it and meet it how they want to. Whether that's downloading it on Wi-Fi, whether that's running up a bill that could easily cost them twenty or more dollars to download an episode on the go because they want it so bad. Because these internet structures aren't perfect; they don't mimic us. And even in the U.S., compared to the EU, there are differences between these structures. So, you know podcasting being open RSS, it's it's just so exciting to to see such a cool technology advancement that you guys did here outside the US. And, you know, PodLP LP uh, hit very quickly, a couple million downloads. Um, you know, the stats you shared with me, there are definitely podcasts on there that are getting thousands of listens a day. Um, it's really neat. And I hope that people spend time learning more about these other countries and these other devices and approaches and I hope they reach out to you. So, Tom, I know that PodLP isn't your full-time thing. Where would you direct people to if they wanted to get in touch with you to talk about PodLP, to talk about developing for KaiOS, IPv6 versus 4, and and other things in podcasting?
1: Sure. Yeah, we have a website, uh, podlp.com. You can also find uh, email and other contact information there. So uh, support at podlp.com. Lots of information there. You can probably just Google PodLP at this point. I think we've finally made it enough that you'll be able to just Google the name and, and find our information. And yeah, I see a lot of increasing interest and focus now in emerging markets. And I, I think it's going to be good long term, because I think there have been a lot of barriers for access in the podcasting space. And we've really sort of focused on the top of the market. And, and in some ways, it makes sense as a financial investment. But you know, I think there's many more millions, if not hundreds of millions of people that uh, would benefit from this as an ecosystem, uh, whether that's through more regional content, whether that's through lower bandwidth feeds, uh, that allow them to save on data, whether that's through more, more localization of content and, and more linguistic varieties and regional va- availability. Uh, so yeah, I, I, hope that as we continue to push PodLP LP and, and sort of expand this mission that we're able to find and work with more folks that are interested in sharing their, their information, um, to a different audience.
0: That's awesome. And Tom, I like to end every episode asking people what they listen to. What's their favorite podcast? Let's let's avoid the mainstream things. What what's one or two podcasts that you're like diving deep into, and you want people to know about?
1: <laughs> that's uh, that's a tough one. I, I, I maybe I'm a little bit too mainstream here. My my number one that I always go to, and you'll see it in almost all the screenshots, is Planet Money. Uh, I've been listening to them for for many years. So yeah, they've definitely gotten some some free promos out of uh, my my listenership but yeah i mean uh, honestly npr takes the majority for me I, I like their production I, I like a lot of the stuff around entrepreneurship and business yeah i think that's that's probably the, the majority
0: that's not a bad thing i'm a big fan of npr myself well tom thank you so much for joining me and i'm sure i'll have you back for a future
1: episode thank you for having me have a good one you too
0: And stick around for some special bonus content at the end of the episode. I've teamed up with EvoTerra Terra to give you a minute-long strategic thought that is guaranteed to shift your perspective on the present and future of podcasting as we all work to make podcasting better. Thanks to Tom Barrasso for coming on to help expand on my article, How Many Listeners Is Your IAB B2 Certification Worth? If you liked what you heard and want to connect, you can find me, Brian Barletta, on LinkedIn, way less formally on Twitter as High5RPG, and of course you can email me, brian at soundsprofitable.com. The Sounds Profitable podcast and all cool ad tech bells and whistles you've experienced were thanks to our host and sponsor, Wooshka. Everything you've heard since the conversation ended was uniquely created to target you using their dynamic ad insertion features. If any of the callouts were wrong, let us know. Depending on how you're listening, there were over 10 opportunities to hear dynamically inserted content and ads in this episode. While we continue to tweak and innovate our setup, some of the breaks may be more noticeable than others. Thank you for bearing with us and please send over your feedback. The Sounds Profitable podcast would not be possible without the help and support of Evoterra, James Cridlin, Ian Powell, and Sam Mars. Thank you all for your help and support.